Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is Vince Kevin. Vince, thanks for joining Rising Tide. Thanks, Kevin. Happy to be here. And you, you, we were talking offline a little bit. You said you're sitting in, in sunny Seattle and uh, it's about 70 degrees outside and no snow on the ground. And was that, yeah. Was that here well, right? every, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like six inches of snow and uh, I think like 23 degrees right now. Wow. So we've got that cold snap. Yeah. It makes that Seattle coffee taste all, all that much better. Oh, yeah. It's delicious right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, share with our listeners a little bit about Vince Cabin. Sure. So uh, I do events-based marketing and startup development. So I've been in the industry for about seven years. Um, worked with a few nonprofits helping to develop uh, big citywide events and festivals, uh, f- everything from farmer's markets to huge startup pitch competitions bringing together uh, VCs, creatives, um, startup companies that are looking to share their product, service, or idea. Uh, the biggest one is one, one Spark was there for a few years and was the operations and finance director. Helped get the whole company started. It was an eight-person team year-round putting on a yearly event. Had about 260,000 people show up for five days. Uh, we got it up to about 360,000 people, I think, on year three or four. Um, wow. By that time, I was tapped to be a executive director, CEO of a public project called Hemming Park. It's managing like the downtown's oldest park in Jacksonville, Florida. And this is all in Jacksonville. Right. Uh, so Jacksonville had the oldest public park, managed that for a few years. And through an actually an interesting story of uh, setback and failure, I ended up uh, packing up and moving to Seattle where I restarted my career and built a new network here in Seattle. Uh, around venture capital, VCs, uh, the startup community, and have been working with the idea of starting something like OneSpark here called Activate, Activate Party. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a series of mini events that bring together artists, musicians, technologists, scientists, uh, together to share their startup ideas or innovation ideas um, or services in front of a juried panel. And what this does is help us build this sort of stakeholder community and momentum and brand as we lead up to the large festival we want to have in 2020. Right. I, I saw on the website that they, there you have some mini events that are kind of, you know, teasers for this, this larger event that's happening in 2020. Exactly. Yeah, we just had a couple that uh, were sponsored by WeWork Labs. We're helping the mm-hmm. first uh, WeWork Labs organization in Seattle get some startup companies and so helped Elizabeth Scanlon over there with about 15 companies for her new setup. And uh, we're moving on to a few other companies such as uh, cannabis, because it's legal here, and then Mm -hmm. arts and music, different communities uh, around the city as we sort of build up our brand and momentum and get things rolling. So So, you said WeWork Labs, is that, that's connected to the co-working spaces? Is that, is that part of the same family of, of companies? It is. It is. So they took over a few different companies recently. Uh, one was Flatiron School, and that's sort of a training and development uh, boot camp for startups uh, looking to sharpen up their skills, get that development they need to build a good product or service that's been integrated with essentially a business incubator, which is what Start WeWork Labs is. Okay. So um, they're finding out who needs different skill sets and that Flatiron School is now working with those companies as they bring them in, the different people that could use that training and the resources and network that WeWork 
can provide. So right, right. pretty exciting. They have a few labs programs on the East Coast, and I think this was the first one on the West Coast, and they just opened Portland recently. I mean, WeWork just exploded. I mean, it, it is amazing the growth on, on uh, you know, if you, if you really break it down, it seems like a very simple idea of, of co-working spaces. There were co-working spaces before. It's just yeah. they tend, they seem to have really, you know, kicked it up to the next level and, and really done those well. So Yeah, they, they know their customer extremely they well. You know, I think they figured it out. They cracked the code. They, they yeah. did a lot of things that like uh, Regus was probably one of the biggest ones. Right. Um, that they didn't do, you know, they yeah. figured out how to work with Facebook or Google to plan offices yeah. and uh, they figured out that the whole thing is about systems thinking, right? So now right. they've got, not only are you working, but what are you doing while you're working? You're building startups. Oh, and we can help you build up your startups and you need some skills that can make you a better startup. Well, we've yeah. got that too, not to mention all the amenities and everything else. I mean, it's a it, it's interesting to see kind of contrast. I mean, you can think back of like you know, look at Apple versus IBM. Look at you know, or Apple versus HP. Look at Walmart versus Amazon. I mean, where you know the the so-called leader at the time you know made a strategic error in thinking about you know what the future was going to look like, and yeah, and it's just been amazing how those have flipped. And you know, we were kind of it seems like the same type of story with you know, with Regis, like you mentioned. I mean, the difference between that those and I mean, those shared offices were, you know, a, around a long time before WeWork ever ever appeared on the scene. But I didn't call you to talk about WeWork. I called you to talk about you. So okay. I don't want to get too deep in those weeds. But you mentioned something in your in your bio that I wanted to kind of follow up on a little bit. You said, you know, there was a bit of a blip on the screen in Jacksonville, and you kind of moved to to hit the reset button in Seattle. So how do you think? you can go into that as deeply as you, as you choose to, but how do you think that that blip in Jacksonville affected your, your start in Seattle or you know, how that even, even mentally, emotionally, personally, and also relationally with people that you would work with in Seattle? I mean, was there an effect? Was there a kind of a knock on effect from that? Yeah. Uh, you know, it was certainly like the biggest professional setback at the time. It was really hard for me uh, about two, two and a half years ago. It was a very public ordeal that I went through. Uh, you know, we were going back to the city for increased fun to increase our funding pool and the city just wasn't going to give it because they said, you know, you're doing events and marketing and to try to solve our homeless problem really was the issue. Uh, the public space had tons of homeless people there and I think they were looking for a silver bullet. And uh, I was like, look, the best practice is to do events and marketing to bring more people in because you can't kick people out. And they were like, no, you need to bring in more security forces. And, you know, we don't think you're the right guy to, to lead it to the next stage. And I said, all right, well, I guess I'm going to step down and move on. So uh, it was a pretty divisive decision. Some board members that I had quit because they were upset about the uh, having to let me go. You know, mm -hmm. I thought I could do the next stage for sure. But just decided that was the better situation for me to leave and step right. down and do the big thing for the organization, which right. ultimately was the right thing to do. Uh, so, you know, it was just a lot of psychological healing and just dealing with that baggage and shedding it as I moved across Seattle and tried to network my way into some more opportunities here in Seattle. Um, I've only had it come up once really. I was at a, uh, an interview when I was here about a year and a half ago looking for a job and somebody said, Oh, you know, that, that ordeal in, um, 
Jacksonville, you know, I don't think that's something that we want to be associated with, you know, as another nonprofit in a city leadership thing. And I said, well, you know, here's the story. Here's what happened. You can make the choice to to hire me or not to have the skills to do the job. Um, so yeah, certainly, you know, left some residue that still follows me around, you know, but I think ultimately it, it, you know, sharpens up your judgment and your ability to think through your own career, but also how you affected other people, uh, how you're going to explain the story, what you learned from those lessons that right. when you went through that failure, it's not easy, you know, during yeah. the time and afterwards, you're still having to sort of reimagine it the entire time that you're, you know, talking about it over and over. Yeah. I, so. I do think it was more internal or external that the kind of the residual effects, I mean, was it, was it you really having to get over the, the issue personally, or do you think that it was more, you know, just the chance of, of this, you know, being a, a hurdle that I have to overcome through conversation and through, you know, interaction with people, you know, moving uh, forward. Yeah, I think both because, you know, people who are, would see my resume can just like type me in and see the story, right? Mm-hmm. They can like look me up and say, okay, that, that's what happened. Uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of people in leadership positions that I've worked with subsequently and they're like, look, everybody goes through failure. It's something, you know, we all saw that. We saw that that happened to you. Um, you know, it's not really a big deal to us. Yeah. So some people are just like, you, you, you face something is pretty fresh, you know, deal with it, whatever, however you're going to deal with it. So for me personally, there's still some residual, you know, emotional baggage for mm-hmm. sure. It's not yeah. totally, totally over because it was such a huge, uh, hammer to my psyche. Yeah. But, but, you know, after talking with people I really trust and respect who've said, look, it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, right. it's going to take some time for it to, you know, not make that much of a difference for you professionally, but we're going to work with you. So, yep. okay. So, I'd, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And everyone that, that has probably given you that advice probably has a personal example of a failure that was maybe even larger than, oh yeah, than, you know, how that would have been, would have been perceived or whatever. And, What's the what's the, the great adage that says you know failure is not falling down failure is failing to get back up. Exactly. What a exactly. what a great and I I don't want to camp on this too long but I think our listeners would really resonate with that because you know we all face failures at at some level and whether that is self imposed or whether that is imposed externally from you know out of our control I mean you know we we certainly have hurdles and obstacles in life that you know, that we're going to have to overcome and, and virtually just keep moving forward. Just if you're going to fail, fail forward. Exactly. And the, and the hard thing, you know, is knowing that those stories are out there, you know, yeah. like you, you'll research like, Oh man, what, what did other people go through and what did they, you know, how did they fail and everything? But when it happens to you personally, it's just so much easier to yeah. like get depressed and get down on your well, situation. For sure. You know, and it's bigger. And, it's magnified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I've said, okay, it was a million dollar project that I was involved in. You know, I pretty much, failed the people that I was leading and, you know, my eight person team and, uh, the city leadership that trusted me, et cetera. And they're like million dollars, try like 20 million. I lost that. And I, <laughs> right. you know, I'm, I'm trying to do the next thing. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, you seem to be doing all right. So exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Well, the transition from, you know, landing in Seattle, you said, you know, year and a half ago or whatever you were kind of looking for, you know, a role to fulfill with maybe a nonprofit or whatever, but are you full time with activate party now? Uh, I am actually volunteering my time. So uh-huh. I'm trying to build it up from the ground up. Um, I'm actually doing a lot of consulting work. Uh, my business partner who's worked on activate with me, 
we're starting up a consulting practice um, called Time to Hatch, the hatchery. The website is timetohatch.com. Mm-hmm. But it, um, we're trying to build up the momentum and trying to educate businesses how they can utilize events and marketing to strengthen the brand, reach customers, uh, find vendors, that kind of thing. So that's my area of expertise, and I'm trying to, to leverage that for the future. Did you let, let's let's hit, get in the wayback machine here for a little bit and go back? How did you how did you first land in that stream? How did you first uh, start with the events and you know marketing type of type of uh, you know industry? Yeah, um, you know, in college, I I was doing some student leadership stuff, and I was telling myself at the time um, I, I was I actually have a religious studies background. I was really into you know, yoga and Buddhism, et cetera, back in uh, the early 2000s. And my role was to build up the student awareness on campus in its totality through doing events. And I thought, you know, if I could do this full time when I get out of college, I'll be really happy. This is a lot of fun. You meet people, you're doing something creative, right? You know, you're uh, putting on interesting programming. And people are having fun. So typical, typical career path for a religious studies major. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, you know, just the winding roads of life. I, I ended up going to Jacksonville, um, and I had to find a job. It was like 2009, so I was in refugee resettlement of all things at Catholic yeah. Charities. Yeah, and, Caritas. Uh, what's that? Was it Caritas or is that their charitable arm? Um, it's just called the uh, Catholic Charities okay. Refugee Resettlement Office yeah. or Bureau. Yeah, I think is what they call it. Yeah. But um, yeah, just networking and helping people find jobs that were new to the country. You know, coming from some terrible, terrible situations, mm-hmm. and just through networking. You know, it's again a story of meeting people, and I found a, um, a kindred spirit that said, "Hey, you seem like a good guy. You ever thought about? You know, I, I'm interested in events." And I said, I was interested in events. He said, like, I got this great idea for doing these small impact events for nonprofits. Would you want to do it? So we put together a company called Party Benefit and Jam, PB&J, that raised, raised money for nonprofits because they're, they're typically not great at branding and doing events and that kind of thing. And we were. Right. Um, we had some experience doing that. Doing that. So um, we started doing these really great events. And then the people who were putting together the One Spark project noticed us and brought him in for a discussion and he said you should meet Vince he's mm-hmm. sort of the architect behind the business piece and then I got hired to do the one spark stuff first first employee helped build the systems up from scratch and just found myself in startup event land doing that uh, you know and I won't, I won't skip skip that I went to college late it's like 27 28 and I had mm-hmm. a whole career in video game design and the startup world in Silicon Valley in the late 90s so I was pretty familiar with like the attitude and the mentality around creating sure. technology companies and like what, you know, building a tech product looked like. So pretty familiar with that, but hadn't really tapped that um, energy and dynamic in a long time. And so it got rekindled uh, when I did one spark stuff. Well, that, I mean, that, that's a perfect segue into kind of the next, next little bit that I wanted to talk about was, was like, how do you, you know, based on what you're doing right now, how do you identify who your kind of your avatar, your your key client would be for, say, the the Activate events? 
Yeah. So right now we're looking at early stage startups mm-hmm. uh, and early stage is typically they have some sort of minimal viable product. We'd like to sure. see that just so they right. have something to showcase. Um, Do they need we to be up and running or kind of they'd be pre-revenue? I mean, uh, pre-revenue is fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think because we're positioning it as this is your opportunity to pitch your idea in front of people who want to test the product and or invest in it. So right. we're bringing investors and potential customers to the table in our events. Mm-hmm. Uh, each event, each small event right now is about a hundred people. So we want these people to be excited about what you have. It's not just an idea that right. you've got something. It's got to be a prototype that, of some kind. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Super early live or just about to launch and like, mm-hmm. hey, we're, we're ready. This isn't just, um, you know, uh, an idea that's blue sky thinking. So, right. They're pretty much ready to go. They have some sort of working team. They've got a good sense of what their financial projection is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a pitch of some sort. They've already created a deck. You know, we're mm-hmm. not going to lead them through creating a deck from scratch right. um, at this point. So we're, for example, right now we're, we're have a website up looking for pitches and we want people to submit a pitch deck mm-hmm. and submit a story, submit the, you know, two of the team leaders who's going to pitch. So they got to be somewhat prepared right. and we'll evaluate that to say, okay, they're ready to pitch in front of these um, usually influencers, thought leaders, you know, who are going to be jurists going to ask you some pretty deep questions. questions to people when they submit their pitch deck, when they submit their ideas, are you saying, Hey, you need to maybe revise this and look at this differently. And this is, these 40 slides are far too much. You need yeah. to end, you know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you know, so, says 10 slides tops. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no one follows that man. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good guideline. You know, I, I think it is, you know, brevity's the, uh, yeah. What do you say? 30, 20, 10 or something like that. 30 point type. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, 10, 10 slides, 20 minutes, something like that. <laughs> Everybody puts way too much text on everything. You know, it's like, <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah, you know, we, we tell them, hey, look, this, this would make a lot more sense. Just keep it short. If people are interested, mm-hmm. they're going to come and talk to you about more detail. You know, try to create as much images, as many images as possible, just because we want this to be a fun right. event. So there is that element, too. We don't want it to be like a dry, um, sort of a, a long form mm-hmm. pitch. You've got about five minutes to tell your story story and explain yourself uh, with a chance to win some sort of awards at the event if it's you know time at WeWork or it's cash prizes uh, or opportunities with vendors that's what we're trying to create to open those doors for these companies so they've got to be pretty you know sharp and with it ready to go uh, day of um, you know just there's those technical things like you can't openly ask for money because not everybody's an accredited investor in the room so we, we mm. make sure that people are you know following the rules and staying on brand really on their brand right. hopefully but there are I'm, I'm assuming that that you would have you know an, it's kind of a networking event as well you're kind of exchanging information and hey let's follow up with a copy you know later with a i mean our, our, i'm assuming vcs would be there yeah yeah they are so yeah um, my connections here have been largely angel investors right. but we do have some vcs that are that are coming up and uh, responded to the emails, you know, I'll be there and whether or not I see them, I'll know it's kind of crazy during the events. But uh, what we're hearing is that a lot of conversations are happening outside of the events. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really the whole purpose behind Activate is to create those connections. So people want to have uh, a further conversation with the companies afterwards. Can you, for our listeners sake and, and mine as well, because I probably have used those terms interchangeably incorrectly. So differentiate between an angel investor and a venture capitalist 
So angel investor typically works by themselves. They might have a small portfolio of companies. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're usually have a net worth of a million dollars, right. And in, in cash that they can put towards investing in companies. And uh, they're going to go out. They might be part of an angel group. Uh, one here is Alliance of Angels or Karetsu Forum, Puget Sound Venture Club, for example. Mm-hmm. They might belong to many different um, clubs like that just to have a peer group. But they're investing on behalf of themselves, typically, okay. right? Yep. Uh, venture capital is more institutionalized. So a big one here is Madrona. And they've got a whole team that are evaluating deals that are looking at um, bigger companies to invest in, right? Uh They've got much more cash, a fund, for example, that they're working with to deploy into startups, usually multiple startups with one fund. It might Mm -hmm. be a few million dollars or a few hundred million dollars that they're putting into startups. So that's pretty much the difference. So it's much more easier, I think, to access the angels because they're – uh, there's less barriers to sure. just setting up a coffee, meeting them. You know, you're not asking to pitch. They are the together. decision maker. That's exactly right. You're, yeah, you're not going to. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. If you're going to if you're going to go pitch to somebody at a venture capital group, you're usually going to sit in front of like ten people, and they're going to just you know basically rip you apart and have you go into detail about why your startup will be a success. Yep. But an angel might just sit down with you for coffee and say, "Okay, I'm in. Yep. You know, I'll, I'll write you a check for 50k, right. for example." But they're both in the startup space. And then private yeah. equity is more for going concerns. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's a whole different ballgame. Right. Now, yeah. they, are they primarily interested in a return? Or are they primarily interested in the, a longer play you know, piece of the company as it grows type thing? Or, what do you, or yeah. what's your experience been? It, it's, it seems to be typically, typically depends on the investor for sure. Mm-hmm. But the question they got to answer is how, how are they going to get their money back? Right. I mean, that's certainly a key. And will there be more than I put in? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and a good angel investor or VC is going to figure out how they're going to help you get their money back. You know, they're going to make connections to vendors or partners that are going to say, okay, we're going to acquire this company or be a big vendor to the company that you've invested in so that you can have a bigger valuation going Mm -hmm. forward if it does get acquired. So hopefully they're doing their homework and they're helping you. They're not just passive right? as an investor. Um, it does happen though, where you just need the cash and capital and you don't mm-hmm. worry about their involvement. But uh, angel investors and any investors really going to look to how are you going to get their money out eventually? What does that right. horizon look like? Uh, you know, and hopefully you're deploying those funds in a way that makes sense to grow the company. Right. Yeah, I appreciate you kind of taking that little segue, and, and that's that's our first micro course that we're going to have is, is, is the investment <laughs> side of things. We'll we'll talk about yours near near the end of the chat, but so let's let's dive just a little bit deeper, and I want to get inside the head of Vince Cavan here. And so, who who would you say would be online? Somebody online that that you kind of look to as as inspiration and just kind of a one line reason why that that person you know you you tend to follow them whether it's a blog whether it's you know podcast video whatever is there one or two people that, that really jump out uh you know elon musk mm-hmm. I, I saw that question elon musk he's just such an iconoclast yeah. you know and he gets beat up all the time by the press sure. and by um, some pretty big bureaucratic agencies. I mean, Department of Defense is really, you know, bringing into question his capabilities because he smoked marijuana with Joe Rogan uh, or the SEC, right? Of course, he's made some mistakes. He probably shouldn't have said that, but he treats it as though it's like sport, right? Yeah. 
Um, and he can afford to do that because he's got that kind of influence and power and, and money. Um, but obviously, people are challenging him, even though he seems to have been right. And he's doing things for like, the better betterment of humanity, ultimately, right. it seems like. Exactly. His intentions are like, you know, I'm going to whatever it costs. Um, I like Tim Ferriss a lot as a podcaster. Mm-hmm. I think he's just done a great job at putting himself out there and finding some of the best minds and talent, uh, interviewing them for, you know, and he's really great at just cutting to the chase and getting these, this sort of format that just moves along really right. quickly. Uh, like right. him quite a bit. So you listen to an hour and a half podcast of Tim Ferriss and you think you've listened for like 15 minutes because yeah. he, he really is, is very good at his craft. So yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, he's I totally understand. Is there a uh, is there an inspiring quote that you've like got taped up beside your computer? You got a sticker on your on your MacBook, or you know you just kind of look at constantly that you know other than other than this idea of failing forward. Is there a is there a quote that that really inspires you? Yeah, you know I really like um, the Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung, mm-hmm. and he was a disciple of Sigmund Freud, and he's got this quote. I'd rather be whole than good. And to me, that means he'd rather, you should look at trusting yourself and doing what you think is right rather than pleasing other people and doing what is expected of you, you know, kind of so that you're your intuition a little bit. Yeah. And just, you know, making sure that if you're, if you're going to be on your deathbed and you're rolling along through life and you've done things to seem good or seem acceptable to other people, you haven't really, really lived a whole life. You know, you're going to miss out on developing certain parts of yourself or certain mm-hmm. aspirations. So, you know, do what you can to really figure out who you are and live the life that you want to live to, to its fullest. What's that, that quote that talks about the, the two best days or, or two most important days of your life are the day you were born. And then the second one is the day you were, you find out why or something, you know, yeah. that I just, <laughs> I, I love those little, those bumper sticker quotes that they're, you know, so inspiring. That's one of the reasons I ask the questions because I just love to hear, you know, new quotes from all of our guests because everybody has kind of a different take on something that, that is meaningful to them and then to hear kind of the backstory of why that matters. So, um, but I appreciate exactly. you sharing those two things, but, and, and as we're shifting in kind of the final stage of our chat here, I, I really want to drill down and kind of leave our listeners with, with this, you know, this big value bomb at the end that we're affectionately referring to as, a, as the Rising Tide micro course series. And I want to just give you space to, you know, speak directly to our listeners and just say, okay, here's a, the three points that I really want you to, to really get around you know, my area of expertise and what I'm, what I really want to lead you to. And uh, so you have the floor and take it away and I'll wrap it up when, when we're done. Well, thanks Kevin. Um, so I'd, I'd focus in on how are you positioning your product or service uh, around and putting it into events? You know, mm-hmm. event marketing is a great way to reach people and it not only can you just reach people, but it does a few things for you and your business. You can sharpen up your pitch skills, right? You're meeting tons of people on the floor. You're tr- being forced essentially to get whatever product or service you had on the, on the burner, burner ready for promotion and ready to sell out there on the floor. 
you get instant validation, instant feedback for an idea. Mm -hmm. So you might consider just testing some ideas like, hey, we've got this one product, but we're thinking about this other iteration later on. What do you guys think? And get some real good customer feedback right there. And they're just walking through looking for engagement. So it's a great way to touch base with people who are basically acting actively there looking to find interesting ideas. Right. Uh, so, you know, that whole thing of marketing it before, of course, mm -hmm. companies like Sony, for example, are great at doing this or Nintendo. They say, you know, we're going to be at E3 and we have some special announcements to make. You know, consider what that might look, look like for your company. Maybe you're putting stuff on LinkedIn. Hey, I'm going to be at a certain event. We've got some exciting things to say. So before, during the events and after, you know, if that's through social media or maybe some newsletters, some way to reach people broadly digitally, but of course at, at the event, uh, figuring out how to engage and create that buzz so that people can look for you at the event and uh, follow up with you afterwards. Uh, and I'd say the third thing is the events are great just to put product in people's hands and on their phones. So, you know, you could probably get them to install your app or right. register for your newsletter, right? So right there, you can get uh, some quick adoption of your product if you're savvy enough to make sure that they install something on their phone or they're signing up for your newsletter, some sort of takeaway that you can follow up with afterwards. So those would be like the three things. So get some validation around your ideas. Events are a great way to do that. Create buzz before, during, and after the events somehow through some marketing. And getting people to adopt the product or service by um, giving them something to take away if it's a physical product or if it's uh, an app, put it on their phone. And one thing that as you were talking, I was thinking about the, the number three, kind of the way you know get the product into people's hands. If you go back to number one, tying kind of one and three together, I mean, if, if you're in kind of the MVP stage, you know, the minimum viable product stage, I mean, I could also think this is a great focus group too, to, you know, to give you feedback on how to, how to iterate and how to, you know, improve whatever your product or service is with a pretty focused group. Um, and like you, you mentioned, I mean, it's instant feedback. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You can even say, you know, Hey, this is a beta test. You know, you can be a part of this and you might need to give some incentive. Maybe it's, you know, you do this, I will give you six months free, right? It's going right. to be 20 bucks a month once it goes live or, you know, a hundred dollars a year, whatever it is. Right. So we'll give this to everybody who's on our beta test and lucky you, you're here and you get to try this out, you know, exactly. and hopefully it's solving the need that they have. So you want to get through that yeah. whole conversation but there there people are typically there at the events to experience something new so you've already accomplished you've already got a few steps ahead yeah to yeah. Uh, get to that point of getting them to adopt what you have and if, if they're at events like this they probably have an early adopter mentality anyway i would think you know they're exactly kind of running into that bell curve so uh, right they're they're probably open to the experience right right away right For so sure. they're like you're saying they probably already reached that you've got that demographic of open to experience, early adopters, looking to try something new, interested right. in tech or whatever right, exactly. reason that you're at the event. Yeah. Right. So and they, they've got they, a few things going on, on tech. They're, they're interested in it and they are, they are very quick to give feedback, you know, as well. So which exactly. is exactly what you, you know, you don't want anybody blowing smoke at you. You just want, you want to just tell me the exact thing of your, 
your reaction to this? How is it working? Is it not working? What are the features that are missing? That type of thing. So, right. Uh, exactly. Can you, yeah. Can you get 20 people to sign up at an event? You know, exactly. if you have a, a few hundred or thousand, can you get 20? It shouldn't be that hard. Right. So hopefully right. you can do that. If not, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> well, you never know. Yeah. You never yeah, know. Probably not. You never know. Well, let me, let me wrap up just so, you know, event-based marketing, um, really the three major points you, you talked about were just the idea of this instant feedback or validation. Um, you know, you get to marketing the, the, the product or service, you know, create buzz around that. And the third one really is, it's just a good place to get the product or service actually into their you know, proverbial hands at the, at the event. And then kind of this instant feedback loop that you you're creating. And it's, this is not a linear process is more of a circular process. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the whole iterative pro process that, you know, you're going to go through as a startup, but mm -hmm. what a, what a great way to, to finish our, our chat today with the, uh, you know, this, this three-step process is micro course and, and Vince, I just, I'm really grateful for you taking time today, just to, to early, early Saturday morning in Seattle, <laughs> snowy Seattle and the coffee has kicked in. So you were extra sharp today, but I uh, appreciate just taking the time. I appreciate uh, our mutual friend, Vlad, for connecting us, Vlad McCartumian. Absolutely. Uh, yep. Thanks, Vlad. guest on Rising Tide. So yeah, thanks, Vlad, for, for that connection that we've made. And, and Vince, just thank Thank you for taking time to just help all boats rise in a rising tide. Have a great okay, day. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it.